You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and, you know, your retirement is a complex machine. It requires a savings and wealth accumulation plan, an investment plan that matches your goals and risk tolerance, and constant upkeep to make sure it's meeting your goals. But it's also important to include legacy and estate planning when thinking about making it all the way through retirement and then leaving a legacy of your life behind for your loved ones. But that's easier said than done, especially if if we talk about trying to do it in an efficient way. And without careful planning and discussion, you could end up with a disjointed retirement and estate plan that can hinder you and your loved ones. So today, we'll be discussing these topics to illustrate how your retirement plan could be improved to last. And and what is your legacy? How can you leave that legacy to your loved ones? So today, we're going to answer some common questions, the basics of an estate plan. Do you need an estate plan even? We'll also talk about the role of real estate in your retirement and special estate planning considerations for real estate. We'll talk about the Roth IRA and your estate plan, and we'll talk about the importance of multi-generational wealth planning. So let's just dive in here. Um, First off, do you need an estate plan? I get asked that. And my answer to that is if you own something and you love somebody, you need an estate plan. And there are four, really three key components to an estate plan plus a question. And that's what I want to talk about in our first segment today. Uh, estate planning isn't easy. I realize that. You know, talking about what happens in the event of your passing or your incapacity, that's part of your estate plan as well. What happens if you are incapacitated, either temporarily or permanently? But talking about these things is difficult. And it's tough to take the necessary action to set up legal documentation and financial strategies that plan for this event. But it's still important to make sure your overall legacy and estate plan are intact for yourself and your loved ones. You know, another beneficial side effect of estate planning is it can help you preserve your wealth throughout your retirement and avoid running out of money. I think one of the big things that holds people up when they do their estate planning is um, you kind of feel like you're making a permanent decision. And you feel like it's going to be in concrete, like who are you going to leave your stuff to? Who's going to 
be the guardian of your kids if they're still minors. You know, how are you going to divide things up? Are you going to leave money to charity? Especially when we're younger folks, you know, it, it's hard to grapple with these types of decisions. And, of course, the backbone of an estate plan is the will. Wills and trusts, potentially. Uh, but the will. And so, you know, a lot of times we think we're making a permanent decision. And that's really can get us hung up on making those decisions and getting action moving forward. And I will tell you, dying without a will is not a pleasant thing. You don't want to do that, uh, especially when the second spouse dies. Now, ironically, you want the will to really control as few assets as possible when it passes to your loved ones, and we'll get into that today. But everybody needs to have a will. If you don't, then the assets that are driven by the will will be passed according to the state of Tennessee uh, if you live in Tennessee. Now, if you have assets in other states, those states would determine how those assets are passed. But the will is really the backbone. It's the first step in creating a legacy plan. It's the basis for ensuring your wishes are carried out as you want them to after your passing. So I would approach the will. I recommend, you know, approach it as if something happened to you in the next three to six months. How do you want things handled? Because one of the follow-ups of estate planning is to stay on top of it and keep it up to date. And so you ought to be able to get it, getting it out. You ought to get out your documents every several years and look at them. And you can make changes. In your will, you specify who you want to, ins to inherit certain assets and property. Uh, you can also set up, you know, what happens to things like minor ch children or if you have an older child uh, that has special needs. And you need to create a trust at your death. What's important to know is what the will governs and what it does not govern. Uh, the will governs any property, any real assets. The only, real, the only way to get those assets uh, to your kids is either with a will or a what's called a revocable living trust or some sort of a trust vehicle. Uh, you cannot name a beneficiary on a piece of real estate or on your house. So ultimately, uh, the, you know, if you do name a beneficiary on an account, on a life insurance policy, on an IRA, on a 401k, that beneficiary designation actually supersedes the will. So the will doesn't even apply uh, to those retirement account assets and your life insurance. And that's one of the biggest uh, mistakes that sometimes made in estate planning is people spend a lot of time and money and energy on their will. And then what, are, what assets are even governed by the will and what assets are not governed by the will. So that's really important to keep in mind. Uh, the biggest mistake that I see with the will is not keeping it up to date. And a good rule of thumb to me is every four or five years, get that thing out and, and look at it. Ask your attorney if it needs to be revised. Now, I'm not an attorney. I know attorneys that will say every two to three years. I think for the most part, every five years is okay, unless you have a major life event in your family. Now, what is a major life event? That would be a marriage, a divorce, a birth, or a death. Anytime you have a major life event like that, you need to get out your will and be reading it. 
but then every five years, you know, you should you should be asking your attorney if there are updates need to be made. Have there been legal changes? You know, just a couple of years ago, we had the Secure Act that was passed, and it completely changed how retirement accounts go to your loved ones when you do name a beneficiary, and in many cases, uh, necessitated a change to the estate plan and to the legal documents. So sometimes legal language changes, statutes change, or laws change, and you need to have your estate plan updated uh, in addition to major life events in the family. Now then, the powers of attorney are also critical documents in your estate plan. The powers of attorney, there are two of them. There's a financial power of attorney. It allows someone to make your financial decisions, pay your bills, and administer your affairs when you cannot. You might be temporarily incapacitated. You might have memory issues as you get older. That's where a power of attorney can come in. A medical power of attorney allows someone to make your medical decisions when you cannot. Both, both take care of you while you're alive. So you could, you could really say that while you're alive, these are the most important ones. I mean, the, the documents, the will is an at-death document. A will is meaningless until the day that you die. Now, a trust can be a little bit different. Probably don't have time to get into too much detail about trusts in today's show. I could do a whole show just on wills and trusts. Uh, my goal today is do more of a big picture, 30,000-foot view of estate planning. Um, but the powers of attorney are so important. And to, to explain how important the financial power of attorney is, like as you age, let's say you're married, and you and your spouse are in your 70s or your 80s, and you have IRAs, and you have required minimum distributions every year starting at age 72. Well, if your spouse loses capacity, let's say is injured, is in an accident, or has dementia, you know, an IRA is can only be held by an individual. It is an individual retirement account. It cannot be jointly titled. Same thing with all kinds of, for, of retirement accounts, 401ks, 403bs, 457s. So they're just in your spouse's name. So if your spouse becomes incapacitated, you can't even call and get, I mean, if you call the IRA company that has your spouse's IRA, they can't even really tell you that your spouse even has the IRA because of privacy laws. Without that power of attorney document, you're stuck, and you cannot take the required minimum distribution unless it's been set up for like an automatic distribution every year. You can't take it without that power of attorney document. So those are critically important. And then, of course, the living will is really not a will at all. It's an advanced medical directive. And in the state of Tennessee, and really in most states in the country, you have a right to decide how you want to pass on if you're incapacitated and have no hope for recovery. And that's what a living will document does. If you have a properly drafted medical power of attorney, uh, your power of attorney can make those decisions. I have found that as people age, they more and more like to have the power of attorney document because what that does or, or excuse me, the living will document, what it does is it takes the decision off of the shoulders of your child and puts it in writing. 
you know, if you're 70, 75, 85 years old and you're incapacitated and have no hope for recovery, you know, your daughter may know what you want done, but if your daughter is having to make that decision with the doctor, the weight of that decision can really weigh on her shoulders for the, for the rest of her life. If you've put in writing you don't want fluids used to, ke- to help keep you alive, then all your daughter is saying, you know what, this is what mom wants, so let's do this. So it just, it changes the burden of that decision. Now, the one thing I would be remiss to, 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 to not cover would be living trusts. A lot of people will do living trusts. Um, it, it, live, there, there's a difference in will-based planning and trust-based planning. When you put things in a living trust, you always maintain full control of the money. Uh, it is set up while you're alive. The single biggest benefit of the living trust is it avoids probate. You can put your house in a living trust or any other kind of real property and it will bypass probate and go directly to your children or whomever you have that's the beneficiary of your estate. Whereas you cannot do that with real property in any other way. Uh, Well, I guess you could put your child's name on your house. I don't recommend that. You know, if you jointly title your house in your name and your child's name, your child would inherit that property uh, without probate. The problem is you have made more than likely a gift that requires a gift tax return to be filed with IRS. And you've also exposed the house to your child's creditors. If your child got in a car accident and was sued, you could lose your house. So I don't recommend jointly titling assets as an estate planning move. Uh, There could be unique situations where you might would do that, but I don't recommend it as a rule. Uh, The the living trust is, is really a good way to pass real property without having to probate it. Now, Tennessee, probate is pretty simple, uh, but there are other states it's more complex. Uh, One of the prime reasons you would consider a living trust is if you own property, you know, you live here, but you also own property somewhere else. You've got a, a condominium in Hilton Head. Well, you wouldn't want your kids to have to probate in two different states. So, you know, you might, you would consider creating a living trust, and you would put that South Carolina property in the trust. If you're going to do that, I'd say, why not go ahead and put your house in the trust and just get it all out of probate. Uh, but all of these things are just critically important. Uh, now, in comprehensive financial planning, the estate plan is one of the five prongs, one of the five key things of an estate plan or excuse me, of a financial plan in retirement. Uh, ultimately, that has to be coordinated with all of your professionals. You know, you, you need an attorney to draft those documents. I'm not an attorney. I am certified in estate and trust services, but I'm not an attorney and can't draft legal documents. What I can do is make sure all the dots are connected. How are your beneficiary designations completed? Do they fit the rest of your estate plan because your beneficiary designations overrule, supersede a will or a trust or anything of that nature if you've named a living beneficiary? So do all the dots connect? Do they connect with your tax planning where it's you got all these pieces of a complex puzzle, do they fit together? That is what we do at Brogan Financial. One of the great ways to find out more and get more educated on this is to attend one of the classes. My more comprehensive class 
at the University of Tennessee is on September 20th and 27th, financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Uh, my next class is Retirement Income Planning. It is a one-night class at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley on August the 30th. It's, a, it's one two-hour session where we cover all the major things you need to know about income planning, including Social Security, tax planning, everything. You can go to PellissippiRetirementIncome.com. Again, that is PellissippiRetirementIncome.com. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about real estate and how it can play a role in your retirement finances and your estate plan. So stay with us. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thank you for tuning in to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. This is More Living. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, talking today about estate and legacy planning and how that fits into both how can you Make sure you live your best life while you're alive and then how you set up your legacy for your loved ones. You can also check us out online, broganfinancial.com. You can click on radio to hear all of our podcasts. Uh, and we've got including our dollars and cents segments, our retirement minutes, everything. You can also click on resources. We just have a, gr a great deal of information on the website so that you can become more informed so you can make prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. How should you consider real estate as part of your retirement plan? That's something I get asked a lot, whether you've considered downsizing your home for retirement, adding real estate stocks, or purchasing a vacation property, or investing passively in directly into real estate. Real estate can be a crucial factor for your retirement plan. And knowing your options and strategizing your current real estate situation for the long term is crucial to making sure your real estate works for you. So I get asked this a lot, and one of the things that I'm consistent about is that I don't include the home that you live in when we, when we plan for things like retirement income planning, as a rule. And the reason for that is your home is typically not going to provide cash flow. I mean, you're not going to, to the contrary, your, your home is always going to be a drain on cash. You're going to have maintenance and upkeep, utility bills, property taxes, all those things. So your home is not going to be a generator of retirement income. Now, one exception to that is if you decided to downsize. Downsize doesn't mean necessarily that you have less of a home. It just means in some way you're reducing the price of the home. It could be you go from a larger property, you know, a larger piece of property to a smaller property that's not as hard to maintain. It could be if you go from an older, larger home to a smaller, newer home. But whatever it is, you downsize the value. And when you do that, you then can pocket that extra home equity that you don't need for the new home. And there's this old phrase, retiring on the house. And we're seeing that a lot in East Tennessee with people that are moving here from other markets like California and New York and Chicago and, and, and other places is their, you know, real estate values 
let's say, in New York and California are much, much higher than they are here, uh, even with the surges we've had here. And so we've got people selling their houses there, pocketing that money, moving here and buying a home for less money. That would be retiring on the house. But as a rule, I don't include the home equity uh, in income planning. Now, another exception on that would be reverse mortgages. If you're cash rich and, excuse me, if you're house rich and cash poor, a reverse mortgage can be an option late in life. But that's a topic for another day. But investing in real estate, I think, is critically uh, important. I consider real estate an alternative asset class uh, that I think most investors and retirees should own in their total investment portfolio, whether it's directly into real estate or passively. Directly in real estate would mean you are buying a, a home and renting it out or buying a vacation property and renting it out. You're doing rentals. Okay, that would be a way to directly own something. Or you're going to flip houses, that kind of stuff. Now, I get asked a lot of people that are, you know, transitioning into retirement and think they might want to do some of that stuff. I would just tell you um, that those can be very effective ways to generate retirement income. I'm a fan of real rental property. Uh, I'm also a fan of the tax breaks you can get with good planning. But it's not something you can just dive right into. You have to invest quite a bit of time to become an expert on direct investing in real estate. You've got to really get to know the local market, the rental market, what areas geographically do you want to be in. There's a lot to learn. What type of a cap rate or yield on your property should you be getting? Should you finance it? How much should you finance? There are so many things that have to be uh, discussed and considered. Another way to, to invest passively into real estate one would be you could invest in a mutual fund that buys real estate stocks. Another would be to invest in a real estate trust or a REIT, R-E-I-T. There are two different kinds of REITs. There are, as a rule, there are public REITs which trade on the stock market as a liquid investment. And it is priced every day. You know exactly what your investment is worth. It's kind of like a mutual fund that invests in, in, in hard real estate. And you, you're, you're pretty liquid with those because they're, they're traded on the open market. Most real estate trusts, most REITs are private REITs. In other words, they don't trade, trade on the market. There are limitations to liquidity. They can produce nice income. And it's passive ownership. You don't have to manage and run a property directly. But it's somewhat illiquid, and you're not getting a market price daily or weekly or monthly as a rule. You're not getting that market price. So you have to kind of just speculate as to whether those properties are up or down in value. Now, there are pros and cons to all of this kind of real estate investing. As a rule, the number one uh, concern with investing in real estate, other than investing in something like a public fund that buys real estate, whether it's a REIT or a mutual fund, is illiquidity. You know, if you have a rental home and you need the money, you can't just get the money out. It, you're going to have to sell the home, 
How quickly do you need the money? You'd rather not sell at a fire sale price. If you have a private REIT, private real estate trust, you can't just redeem that anytime you want. And as we have seen, especially in the Great Recession, uh, those things froze all redemptions. A lot of those did, even when they were dropping precipitously in value. But they do offer very good diversification. Any kind of direct, any kind of real estate ownership can can provide some diversification. Uh, the big thing I want you to be aware of with real estate is because of that illiquidity. You know, you have to be considering your income needs. You have to be considering your cash needs. Now, in your estate planning, you have to be considering your the the cash liquidity needs of your heirs. So as an example, if most of your estate is in real estate and you pass away, there are a lot of costs to be maintained, more than likely, with that real estate while the estate is being settled and when the kids inherit the properties. How are they going to pay for those needs? How are they going to pay property tax? How are they going to pay maintenance and upkeep? Are there funds in the estate to be able to deal with those expenses. So that's very important to consider with your estate planning is as you age, will you have the liquidity you need to be able to pay for the potential costs of real estate ownership? And then what about your kids? Because they, you know, yes, your executor could sell a property in the estate while it's being settled in probate, but how are they going to de- I mean, what if they can't sell it right away? Um, now, now, that's also another good reason to consider putting real estate in a trust because then in the estate process, it's, it's a lot simpler and cleaner and goes a lot faster and your trustee can deal with that more effectively. But you can't just go out and sell a home, a rental house, you know, within two or three days necessarily and know you'll have that money to pay for other expenses. So it's very important to consider liquidity needs when you consider real estate. You also need to consider things like titling, what's the best way to own the property, what are the, what's the best way to utilize tax efficiency with the property. If you want to get out of one property and into another, what's the best way to do that from a tax perspective and a planning perspective. And what is your exposure to creditors? Could you be sued? How are you structured? Do you need a simple liability umbrella policy on your homeowners, or do you need to do some sort of a corporate structure like an LLC or an S-Corp to protect, those, your, to protect yourself from litigation and creditors with those properties? So a lot of things to consider with, real, with direct real estate investment. Um, indirect real estate, bubbling, buying public funds, whether it's a public REIT or a mutual fund that buys stocks in companies that, are, that, that deal with real estate, is a much more uh, liquid, easy way to own real estate. Uh, that's going to be less of a strategy to generate income, and you're not going to get the ta- as many tax benefits. So again, there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages. All of this should be incorporated into a comprehensive financial plan. Now, when we come back, I'm going to talk about your Roth IRA and your estate plan. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Uh, my next class, Pellissippi Retirement Income, its income planning for retirement is on excuse me, August the 30th, three weeks from Tuesday. It is one night, two hours. I'm going to talk about Social Security election. I'm going to talk about how to structure stable income that is not dependent on the stock market in the short term, but where you can have growth of income in the long term. We'll talk about tax planning. We'll talk about handling RMDs, all of those things. You can go to PellissippiRetirementIncome.com for more information. You can also call Pellissippi State at 539-7167. Again, that is on August the 30th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in Hardin Valley. Uh, the course fee is $39. Again, go to PellissippiRetirementIncome.com. For all of my cl- upcoming classes, go to BroganFinancial.com and click on Classes. Now, the Roth IRA plays a unique and multifaceted role in retirement and estate plans. Because of its long-term structure and tax benefits, you know, long-term investments are often held in these accounts. You can also use it for estate planning purposes, uh, even with the SECURE Act in in place that limited its role in estate planning. You know, the Roth IRA is a tax-advantaged retirement account that offers tax-free withdrawals after holding the account for five years and reaching the age of 59 and a half. And Roth IRAs, you get no tax benefit when you put the money in a Roth uh, but, you you know, you don't get a deduction like you do on a traditional IRA. Uh, but then when you take the money out, it is tax-free. And there are several benefits to that. Um, from an estate planning perspective, that, that income tax has already been paid. So one of, the, one of the problems with passing retirement accounts to your loved ones is, you know, if I have $100,000 in my IRA or 401k, it's it's not actually worth a hundred thousand because I haven't paid the income taxes on most, if not all, of that money. And that tax burden, who knows what that'll be twenty, thirty years from now when it goes to my kids? That ter- tax burden will be taxed to them at their tax rate. It could be thirty, forty, fifty percent. I mean, where do you think we're going with income taxes in the future? Yet that full $100,000 counts against me in considering the value of my estate for tax purposes. So that's a fundamental problem with traditional retirement accounts. If I have a Roth retirement account, I've already paid the income taxes, I own it all, and my kids don't have to deal with those income taxes and the tax burden is not contributing to the value of my estate for tax purposes. Now, Roth IRAs, I do think, I will tell you, I think they're oversold. They can be very effective. But, you know, when you're in your last 10 years of earnings, your prime years of earnings before you retire, a lot of you are going to see your taxable income drop substantially in retirement. And when you put money into a Roth, or if you do a Roth conversion, then there's no income limitation on a Roth conversion. You can take, let's say you take $50,000 from an IRA and you convert it to a Roth, 
you have to pay the income tax now on that 50000 But there's no income limitation on that. But if you're in a high income, do you want to pay income tax on $50,000 more in a high tax bracket like 32 or 35%? If you're in <coughs> that kind of a tax bracket, that may not make much sense if your taxable income is going to drop substantially in retirement. Because even though taxes are going up in the future in 2026, and even if they go up even more, your taxable income is going down dramatically. So it doesn't make sense to pay tax to create Roth now when you're, if your income is a lot higher than it's going to be in retirement. Now, you do need to consider what your tax bracket is going to be when you're, in your, when you're 72 and older and you have to do those required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts. You know, that's going to start off around 4%. You can you do easy math. It's a little less than 4 but that gives you a little bit of, a, of an easy calculation. And that's taxable income. So you can see how that's going to change at age 72. From a tax perspective, Roth IRA planning is very, very important because it does really help provide for tax-free money later in life. That could really help us if tax brackets are higher. It could help you if inflation really takes a big chunk out of your retirement income and you need more tax-free money because it's about net income, not gross income. It does reduce the value of your taxable estate because you've already paid the income taxes. But it doesn't make sense to do a Roth conversion at a 32% bracket today if you're going to be in even a 25% bracket in retirement. So that has to be carefully considered. Now when the money goes to your heirs, their distributions are also tax-free. But once it goes to your heirs, a Roth, with rare exception, has to be cashed in within 10 years just like a traditional IRA does. So there's no difference. You know, when you have your own Roth, there is no required minimum distribution while you're alive. You do not have to take RMDs at age 72 and older. But when you inherit a Roth, when your kids inherit a Roth, the distribution rule is the same as inheriting a traditional IRA. Now, the, the distributions are tax-free, but they have to come out within 10 years. So the strategy of what your heirs would do with inheriting a Roth might be completely different than the strategy for the traditional IRA they inherit. I mean, on the traditional IRA, they want to be very careful about how they take, plan the taxable distributions. On a Roth, they might want to leave that money in there as, as long as possible and only take out what IRS requires over the 10 years because it's getting tax-free growth in the meantime. So these all become complex issues when planning an estate. It's complex with tax planning. It's complex with income planning. It's complex with estate planning. But back to our original question at the beginning of the show, do you need an estate plan? I mean, if you own something and love somebody, you need an estate plan. And we've touched on several elements today of an estate plan. We've talked about tax benefits. We've talked about the legal documents we've, you need. We've talked about the complexity of owning real estate in your estate, how that affects you while you're alive, and how it affects your kids when you're, when you're gone, both from a tax, liquidity, investment, income, all of those perspectives.
So I will come back to, I think it's critical to have a plan to deal with this. And I do think communication with your kids and your heirs is important. You know, communication doesn't mean you have to tell your kids everything. You can maintain whatever level of privacy and confidentiality you wish. You don't have to provide details, but I think it's important to understand things like, is this investment account that's in your IRA, what's the taxation to your kids? If you have a piece of rental property, how are they going to maintain those costs? How are they going to have liquidity to pay for those costs while the estate is being settled? And then how quickly will they, you know, what are they going to do with that land when they get it or that property? How is the Roth IRA going to be passed? How, how, is the be how should that be treating if you have investment capital gains? You know, what are the implications of leaving that in their estate versus gifting it to you? That can have tremendous negative consequences for capital gains tax planning. Making gifts of capital stock, capital assets like stock and land, can be a catastrophic thing to do from a capital gains tax perspective under today's laws. So I think having these discussions and having your kids understand what you're trying to accomplish and, and being at least aware at a 30,000 foot view of how these things work, I think that's very, very important to have these, these conversations. And then ultimately what you want is when you pass assets, you know, it's kind of odd and a little bit um, unfortunate to me that estate planning, we focus on all the financial stuff, but really what's most important in estate planning is passing on the legacy of your life. Uh, but those assets have so much to do with how that happens. And so when, when you do die, you want them passed on in a way that it can be a continuation of your values and your life experiences and your, your spiritual foundation. It's just a representation of those things and that it is set up in such a way that your kids receive a legacy and they don't receive a lot of problems that create headaches, infighting, arguments, whatever the case may be, that all of a sudden it's created more problems than anything else. So incorporating the estate planning into your financial plan is a critical part of your overall financial plan for retirement. Now when we come back, I do want to dive into Federal Reserve policy. The Fed met last week. They raised interest rates three-quarters of a percent. They, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, also had some comments that were interpreted by the market as being very friendly, where the market kind of interpreted him as saying, I'm not going to increase interest rates as aggressively through the end of the year. What does all this mean to you and me? We'll dive into that when we come back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're with you every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. and again, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, you can catch our podcast online at broganfinancial.com. You can also listen live at uh, newstalk987.com. The Fed met last week. 
and raised interest rates three quarters of a percent. And Jerome Powell made some comments. He's the, he's the chair of the Federal Reserve. Now then the next day, the economic numbers for GDP growth for the second quarter came out and were negative a little less than 1%. And the market last week uh, really rallied, had a significant rally the last two or three days. How do we make sense of all this? What is the Fed likely to be doing moving forward and how does that impact you? You know, the 75 basis point increase was expected. It made the Fed funds rate two and a half percent, two and a quarter to two and a half percent. So that doesn't necessarily, that's the overnight Fed funds rate. So then how does that affect a three or five year car loan or a 15 or 30 year mortgage? Uh, that's yet to be determined. But it is aimed at addressing inflation even at the expense of economic slowdown and market downturns. So when the Fed raises rates, uh, I think it's important to understand what the word neutral means and what does it mean when they say, okay, the rate, the Fed funds rate is now neutral. So at a 2.5% Fed funds rate, when they say it's neutral, what that means is it's not expansionary and it's not contractionary. In other words, Fed policy with a Fed funds rate of 2.5% is not meant to, to encourage expansion economically, and it's not meant to encourage contraction either. Because inflation is such a problem, the Fed is trying to slow down the economy to stave off more inflation. And inflation's going to persist a while. Now, will inflation be even over 5% two years from now? I don't think it will be. But if the Fed doesn't strike the right balance, I do think this could turn into a 1970s issue with lasting inflation for longer than, than, than really the 13 months we've seen very high inflation. The Fed is trying to get out, of, is trying to really control it with by raising rates that will contract the economy and that will create, that will slow down demand and prices will stop increasing so fast. But 2.5% is considered a neutral rate. The Fed is expected to increase rates more through the end of the year. How much? We're not sure. Some are saying they'll raise it another 1% to 1.5%. Some have speculated. Some were speculating last week they might raise it another 3 quarter of a percent between now and the end of the year, which would put it at 3.25%. I think they're probably going to do more. And they're going above neutral. And so what that means is they're trying to slow down the economy. They want the economy to contract somewhat to slow down inflation. That doesn't mean they're wanting a recession. They don't want growth to be as strong. Now then this week, we've gotten strong corporate profit reports over the last couple of weeks. And the jobs report this week was very strong. And there's been debate, are we in recession, are we not in recession? The reality is I don't think we know yet. Uh, I think the main thing is, is that, you know, the market is going to be volatile, I think, until it's clear we've hit peak inflation and it's starting to come down. I think it's the number one issue that we face economically. And I think the Fed's got to get their arms around it. It means more short-term instability in the markets. So in your financial plan, you've got to have a plan to mitigate the effect of short-term volatility, which is to not need market investments for short-term income, and instead have more stable holdings for short-term income.
Unfortunately, I'm out of time today. Thank you for tuning in. We've discussed your wealth and estate planning because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you, Riley. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for tuning in this week. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.